It's no secret global warming is continuing to grow and present a problem to the world. It is also no secret the manufacturing sector is a large contributor to this worldwide issue. And it's funny, just today I read a report on the energy intensity in treating wastewater where that industry alone is consuming up to 3% of the world's total energy output and contributing over 1.5% to global greenhouse gas emissions. Well, I'm not picking on that one sector. It just goes to show the need for a more sustainable industry overall. Having said that, as the industry heads toward a lofty but achievable goal of carbon neutrality, safety can play a vital role. Hello, my name is Greg Hale, and welcome to another Today with ISS Source podcast. And with us to talk about sustainability and safety is Steve Elliott, Senior Offer Director, Safety and Critical Control at Schneider Electric. Steve, welcome. Thanks, Greg. It's a pleasure to have this opportunity to talk about this highly sensitive topic. I agree. And Steve, I'll get right into it. Um, Just how can the uh, manufacturing sector become more sustainable? So first of all, Greg, let's let's just clarify what we mean by sustainable, because sustainability is used everywhere, does have a couple of different meanings. So the first use is is more sort of time-based. So the ability to be maintained at a certain rate or a level. So, um, for example, sustainability of economic growth. Uh, The second way that I'm seeing it used is around depletion of natural resources. So maintaining some sort of an ecological balance. So, you know, the pursuit of global environmental sustainability. I think the best definition I've seen is from the United Nations. They put it as simply as, meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of the future. So in other words, improve the lives of people around the world today, but mitigate the hazards, the man-made effects of climate change. So when we talk about sustainability today, I think what we're talking about is this ability to take an integrated approach that combines environmental concerns and economic concerns and development as well, causing little or no damage to the environment and therefore being able to continue for a long time. So today, Greg, let's talk about how companies' commitment to environmental sustainability meets those two targets. And on top of that, I know the industry is sensitive when it comes to costs. So, you know, how does reaching sustainability goals affect a manufacturer's budget? Great question. I mean, like every investment that there is ever made, there needs to be a clear return on capital employed. Safety, sustainability programs, they're no different. Let's face it, there's never enough budget, never enough resources, never enough time. So somebody has to make some tough decisions not just on what to do, but also what to defer or not to do. Now, there is good news. So, for example, in my part of the world, I'm, I'm based here in the, in the sunny UK, there is government funding available for small businesses. So there's almost five billion, that's billion with a B, of funding to help UK businesses as part of the government's commitment to reach net zero emissions by 2050. 
So they're awarding funding to businesses who are investing in green technologies to increase the overall energy efficiency and reduce carbon emissions. So there is help available. Now, from my experience, there are typically three reasons that a company or an organization would do something. The first is they're forced to. And typically, if people are forced to do something, they will see this investment as a cost. And that could be because something breaks. There's an audit violation, could be exceeding flaring targets, new regulations meeting net zero carbon reduction targets, corporate edicts that come along and say you must comply. So the first is forcing me to invest. The second is there may be an opportunity to change. So another related event is taking place. You know, the timing of other projects creates some synergies. Could be that part of the plant or an operating unit or an operational issue, something becomes available that we couldn't get to otherwise. And the third part, and I think this is really where this conversation hinges, is it's part of an overall strategic decision. It's a means of gaining some form of competitive advantage. It aligns with the corporate future vision and making those those specific investments for long-term gains. But I will say, I think one of the tricks here to get this important funding is get on the back of an existing initiative because typically it's already been seen as important so you don't have to convince people otherwise they wouldn't have put funding and resources in place what i want to say is you can either sit and wait until something happens or you can be proactive and start to develop a plan doing nothing is never a good option just don't wait until it's too late. And whatever you do, focus on the positives. You're more likely to win investment when you can show that what you're investing in achieves one or more tangible business goals. If we've learned anything from our safety expertise and experience, justifying investments on the negatives, on the penalties, on the fines, on the consequences, loss of production, that's a hard sell. People like to focus on the benefit and feel they're getting something positive in return for the investments they make. You know, it's funny. If we were having that discussion about a few years ago, it would have been more of the uh, not being proactive. It's just more of the waiting and seeing. But I don't know about you, but I'm seeing more and more companies these days being more proactive and really thinking about, you know, where everything is heading in the future. And I, I see that as such a positive. But now that we've talked about the industry and how the industry can head towards sustainability, what role can safety play toward achieving that goal? Well, firstly, Greg, it's fair to say that most operating companies are already reporting environmental and safety performance. This is not new, but this is more from a compliance reporting perspective. So, for example, you'll typically see companies will publish an annual EHS, Environmental Health and Safety Report. These are really around adhering to the rules, the regulations, the policies, the procedures that are put in place on the work site to keep the workers safe. So for industry regulators, for me, it's the health and safety executive. It could be OSHA. This is really proving and demonstrating that we are protecting workers and the public. 
You may also see ESG, Environmental, Social and Governmental Reporting. Again, this is compliance mandated at a country level or by the regulatory bodies, and it's an act of implementing them in, in the form of internal policies and practices. So again, proving and demonstrating to your employees, your customers and communities that you are protecting the people, the environment. But they are lagging indicators by nature. They don't necessarily consider how safety programs, initiatives, systems can have a positive contribution to the sustainability equation and start to become leading indicators. So what we're talking about and what we're doing here is we're bringing together these worlds of safety and sustainability, no longer thinking them of two separate activities, but one when unified, can drive marginal gains that ultimately all add up. And we're really looking at that in three areas. The first is, is sort of environmental emissions, avoiding spurious trips that may lead to flaring events. The second is really all about how we can go digital. And the third is around sustainability being designed into products that get used. So those three elements, we're talking about that as green safety, if you like. In talking about flaring, it wasn't that long ago where we reported about how a chemical plant in Baytown, Texas, was forced to use uh, its safety flare after it experienced an unplanned operational incident due to a loss of power. Now, I know flaring is part of a safety protocol on it, but it also really hurts from a sustainability aspect. So yes, we want safety, but no, we don't want to emit harmful greenhouse gases. I mean, is there any way around this? You're right. It's This is a very, very sensitive topic. Some people don't even like to use the word flaring. They'll use burning excess gas. But Gas flaring goes back nearly 160 years because it was sort of like an industry practice of just wastefully burning rather than using or conserving gas, you know, a byproduct of, of the oil production. Mm-hmm. And as you said, that flaring of gas contributes significantly to the climate change. It impacts the environment through the emissions of CO2, black carbon and other pollutants. Not just that, but you're wasting energy. You're wasting resources that actually you could use in a better way or a more productive way to advance sustainable developments. Now, in 2021, so just over a year and a bit back, it was estimated that 144 billion, with a B again, billion cubic meters of gas was needlessly burnt in flares at at upstream oil and gas facilities around the globe. The result of that was approximately 400 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent emissions. Now, think about that. With natural gas prices as high as they are today, gas flaring is an extraordinary waste of, of economic value. Somebody estimated that that was actually... 55 billion US dollars per year at $10 per MBTU. So you asked me earlier about being sensitive to costs. Well, think of all that money that is literally, if you'll pardon the pun, going up in flames. 
Now, there are global programs in place to reduce the environmental impact of gas flaring. So, for example, there's the zero routine flaring by 2030 initiative. So the industry does recognize this, does have a program in place, and does have a target to reduce that significantly. So again, protecting the environment, optimizing the capital on it. You quite rightly said flaring is often designed into the process as a means of safety. So controlled burning is a common practice. It is used to safely dispose of hydrocarbons that could potentially pose a hazard to workers, nearby residents, the facility, etc. Um, it can also occur during startup. It can during maintenance turnarounds, during power failures, as you said at that um, facility in Texas. You know where when production stops, the pressure has to go somewhere. So flaring that gas is a part of that design. Sometimes it can't be avoided. Other times it can. What do I mean by that? Is the last thing you want is a spurious trip. You don't want the safety systems causing or initiating a trip that causes a loss of production, that causes flaring. It's not just flaring, but it's also the fact that a restart is the highest risk time on any plant. So when considering safety systems, the safety instrumented systems, the ESD, the fire and gas, the burner management, the HIPS, et cetera, think about high availability, high integrity, highly fault tolerant systems to avoid those spurious trips in the first place. So a simple calculation, if we assumed a processing plant with a capacity of 300 million cubic feet per day, and if we could avoid one spurious trip per year for maybe the high availability, the fault tolerance, or maybe early notification that we talk about as part of digitalization, then you could save 35 tonnes of CO2 per hour. So 840 tonnes of CO2 per day that you're chipped down and having to flare. When we talk about sustainability initiatives, it brings me to the bigger overall issue of uh, digital transformation. So how does digitalization play a part in the safety and sustainability equation? So the second area, the part of our, our green safety, if you like, is around how safety can go digital, how using digital solutions drive sustainability gains. Let me give you a couple of examples. Using digital software tools and applications instead of traditional, hardwired, conventional input-output signals. Very often, the safety systems will have bypass key switches around them. So when maintenance activities have to be done, uh, they'll put a bypass around the instrument, and then they know that device is out of service. Or it may be driving hardwired alarm enunciator panels for the office. So instead of using traditional hardwired key switches, input outputs, alarms, enunciator panels, you could go digital. You could put all of that into software. That reduces the weight, the power consumption. That impacts the HVAC. You've got less equipment, so you lower transport costs. You need smaller equipment rooms. There's less material, cables, construction costs. All of that aggregates and adds up to sustainability improvements. Simple example again, typical petrochem plant, you could save around about 300 tons of CO2, replacing some of your hardwired I.O. associated with bypasses and alarms with a software application. 
Another potential area to consider would be around testing and validation of the safety systems. Again, typically, traditionally, we would wire up panels with lamps, with switches, with potentiometers. We had teams of people who would stand there and manually force input conditions, check the logic, the outputs worked as they did. We can use software tools, something like Triconic Safety Validator, that automatically validates the functionality of the system. So you don't have to have those hardwired panels anymore. You don't have to have the power that feeds the hardwired panel so you can lower your energy consumption. You can also do it quicker because software is more efficient and repeatable than the manual activities. That, in turn, shortens the test duration, which means you have fewer people, which reduces the environmental impact of travel and lipping costs, and it starts to all combine. And then you can nowadays, post-COVID, we can engineer and test the system in a virtual environment, in effect, in a digital twin anywhere around the world. So this saves time, travel, logistics cost, all of those seemingly insignificant on their own options ultimately combine and add up to environmental sustainability improvements. So as safety programs start to drive sustainability benefits. Now, you had mentioned this a little bit earlier. Is there a time in the future where you see sustainability designed into products? Or is this more of a people in process things where humans have the focus on sustainability and there must be processes in place to ensure a more sustainable environment? I go back to how the cybersecurity conversations were an extension of the safety ones. Change the word safety for cybersecurity. Cybersecurity started off as adding extra protection, and eventually that cybersecurity became inherent in the intrinsic design and development processes of the product. So they had cyber built in. I think we're seeing exactly the same thing now. Instead of saying safety and cybersecurity, now we change that and we say sustainability. Sustainability is starting to built, be built into the products that we buy today. You know, a green supply chain and manufacturing. You know, what I mean by that is we, we as an electronics manufacturer, as a provider, not just for safety systems, but Schneider Electric on the broader range of, of offers, we have a commitment to reduce our carbon footprint as part of a supply chain. So we as a supplier to the manufacturers, to the consumers, we actually have to design sustainability into our products at the very beginning. We also have green manufacturing facilities. Our own smart factories are deploying the latest electrical, digital software applications so that we reduce our own environmental footprint to zero to net zero. We're also working with our suppliers. So how do they help us decarbonize the supply chain? How can we change what we purchase? How can we make sure that what we are buying increases the green materials in our products? And it could also be packaging. It could be shipping. It could be waste. It's not just the production. So we want to reduce the substance risks. We have to provide environmental data so that if somebody wants to dispose of a piece of electrical equipment. They know what to do. 
So we're actually designing sustainability into our products, our manufacturing, and our supply chain to meet not just our commitments, but to help our customers meet their commitments towards net zero. What are the other areas that can make uh, manufacturing achieve sustainability? This question probably deserves a podcast on its own. <laughs> yeah, no, you're probably right. <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot to this. Could be the use of hydrogen, green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, gray hydrogen, doesn't matter the color, but the investment and development of as hydrogen as a source. Electrification, so switching from fossil-based fuels to electrification. So that could be turbines, that could be pumps, that could be even ethylene crackers. We're seeing large parts of the plant moving from fossil base to electrification. Obviously, you've got renewable energy sources, solar, wind, tidal, but those are not dependable, if you like, for 24-7 operation that these energy-intensive industries require. So they all have a part to play. They all bring a different safety dynamic, so much so, in fact, that I think you and I have recorded or will be recording another podcast dedicated specifically to safety and its role in the energy transition. And yes, we will. But timing is a relative thing. And what I see as being slow, others see as being fast. So with that in mind, I mean, how quickly do you see a move to a more sustainable energy transition. It's happening now. Now, as you and I are sitting here speaking, think about it. The traditional you know, oil and gas companies, they're transforming their products, their operating models, their business models to effectively become energy suppliers and distributors. They have their own sustainability goals and their targets towards net zero. So this change is happening whether we like it or not. So it's not an if, but a when. And much like the importance of, you know, drumming safety into everyone's minds years ago and cybersecurity even more recently, you know, how can you get workers to understand the importance of sustainability? You're right. I think we can leverage our safety and our cyber backgrounds, the lessons learned. How do we win hearts and minds? Because this, again, this is not all about enforcement, making somebody, but it's about making an emotional or an intellectual appeal to sway people to the way of thinking. I think everybody agrees it's the right thing to do. We may not see it for ourselves, maybe not for this generation, but it certainly is for future generations to come, our kids, our grandkids. So our choices, our decisions, our actions of today are going to have a long-lasting consequences. Now, the good news is companies can now influence people in many different and new ways. There are a lot more ways to reach people than 20, 30 years ago when we were trying to convince people to the importance of safety, and then 10 years ago about the importance of cyber. And a lot of it now, again, we have a new generation of worker. We have you know, a much younger transition. So they are influenced more by their role models, by their peers. So our behavior impacts and affects those around us. If I see my leaders, if I see my colleagues, if I see the staff around me behaving differently, using the recycling bins, 
reusing my coffee cup, you know, that all subliminally starts to influence me. Social networks allow companies to gauge opinions of the group. So it's a great way of getting the information out there. But, and I will say, but it does run the risk then that an individual could be easily swayed by, you know, this collective voice. I also think, again, part of hearts and minds is I, as an individual, I need to understand what it is you're asking of me. And it needs to make sense because, yes, we can have technology advances. We can have new channels to facilitate more frequent, but it needs to be relevant and personalized to me. I need to feel it, as it were. And I do think, you know, again, skills, opportunities, tools to help me do my job, you know, give me recycle bins, make them available to me. Otherwise, I won't use them. It sounds obvious, but don't make it difficult. Make it easy for people to change and adapt, and they will. So I can speak from my personal experience. I've never been more surrounded by more channels, not just at work, but at home. I will say this, it's not a case of more. We always thought with safety, we had to drum it into everybody, we had to repeat it. But it's not necessarily a case of more. I would say it's a case of being more relevant or more impactful to the individual. Because if you're not careful, we all end up drowning in this information overload. And you can no longer tell what it is I should be paying attention to or what's important. So Learn from the lessons of the past, win the hearts and minds, behave in a way that you expect others to, even if nobody is watching. As we've talked about in previous podcasts, the safety professional's job is going to change, you know, with all these initiatives. It's just going to. I mean, but how will achieving sustainability change the safety professional's job? I don't think it's going to change them significantly. And the reason that I say that is that safety engineers have usually considered the environmental impact right at the beginning of a project when they're doing a HAZOP, a hazard and operability study. So when we consider a scenario of what could go wrong, what the likelihood is, we look at the consequence. And we look at the consequence not just from a safety or a commercial, but from an environmental level. Sometimes we hear it called the environmental impact level. So it's already in our DNA. What we can do now, and maybe where one of the changes happens is we can start to make that data usable. We can make it visible. So, for example, using a dynamic risk matrix in something like Process Safety Advisor, a software application, we can very quickly and simply toggle the hazardous events to show the environmental consequence so you could see potential environmental impact to make your decisions on. So not just safety or not commercial, but actual environmental consequence. What I would ask, Greg, is more of a soft point than a job change, but it is basically, if you're a safety professional, if you're involved in safety, be a good steward of the business. You know, it could really be something as simple as if you're evaluating new technologies or if you're making decisions on suppliers, Consider the environmental credentials of those companies or those products because it all adds up. If you can find ways to find small marginal gains or improvement, ultimately, that's a good thing. 
So what are um, what are some best practices uh, safety professionals can look at to ensure they help achieve uh, sustainability? I think everybody's looking for that one-off big, you know, big than the silver bullet, as some people call it. From my experience, it's really much more around small marginal gains. Every time you look at a project or a piece of equipment, think about or ask the question, is there a way we can improve the sustainability of this piece of equipment. So how can you find small marginal gains that ultimately reach higher performance levels because you're constantly making small incremental improvements? I actually started my working career, Greg, working for an engine consultancy, and I got to work on Formula One engines. Now, that taught me that every small detail matters, which stood me in good stead in my safety career, because you know those small, in, you know, major incidents are often the cause of those small, seemingly insignificant events that ultimately add up. But now, when I think about it from a sustainability aspect, Formula One still applies. And what I mean by that, it's a great example of how every small improvement can be the difference between winning or not. So let's apply the same approach to achieving our sustainability goals. There are digital tools, there are technologies available that not only help you improve safety performance, but can deliver sustainability gains. So for me, and we spoke about a few in this webinar, that could be the Triconic safety systems, that could be safety view for bypasses and alarms, that could be safety validator. Take advantage of them now. They are there to help you. Okay. Well, Steve, I appreciate you taking the time. Just one quick summary, if I may. Sure. I think sustainability is a core value. We're all committed to helping each other work and achieve goals for sustainability. Safety has a part to play. It may not be the first thing that comes to mind when you think about achieving sustainability gains. Safety has a part to play. Reduce or avoid flaring incidents. Replace traditional hardware AO where you can with digital solutions. And then lead by example. In your job, in the suppliers that you choose, in your operations, Act like an owner, behave and demonstrate because you're influencing the generation around you. Okay, well, I appreciate that. That's really about all the time we have for today. So for Steve Elliott and Schneider Electric, this is Greg Hale saying thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on Today with ISS Source.